0: welcome to the boneyard with steve robertson as always i am your good friend and host steve robertson here on the hump day edition of the yard it's basketball day men's basketball will be in action tonight against the university of florida we will preview that game a little bit later in the show got some newcomers on campus we'll talk about that in our next segment but uh big news yesterday mississippi state wide receiver malik keith elects to enter the ncaa transfer portal now there were some rumblings about this late in the season, that he may go in the portal. And then, you know, it kind of shifted in most of the discussions, like, hey, Malik's going to go out there and, and, uh, and go pro and, and try to get some workouts and potentially, uh, you know, work a deal. Probably wouldn't be drafted, but he is a pretty good at elite athlete. You know, may have an opportunity to make a practice squad somewhere and kind of work his way up. And so there was a lot of discussion that no matter what, that was his last year in Starkville and then he goes through senior day festivities uh right before the battle for the golden egg kind of signifying that he was done here and so as we have discussed on the show before he was involved in a pretty serious car accident and uh not sure that's completely over you know he is recovering from all that but uh you know not not exactly sure you know what's going to come from all of that but Malik announced yesterday that he does plan to go into Portal. And so, you know, I I really believe that had he not had the car accident, so he would have been able to work out and and train and kind of be ready to roll for these pre-draft workouts, that he would have probably gone ahead and gone pro. Uh, Mentioned on social media last night that he was at Jackson State. I know many of you are thinking, oh, my gosh, he'll leave here and go to Ole Miss. And, And let's all take a deep breath, okay? Please. But he was at Jackson State. You know what? And I think that's Malik Heath, too. I think about this. Number one, Jackson State, because of what Deion Sanders has done there, is a program that has some shine on it. There are a lot of people looking at it saying, hey, listen, they're playing a pretty good brand of football down here. You know, they, they played for the HBCU National Championship and came up short, but they, they played and competed and finished number two in the HBCU rankings. And uh, a team that's expected to be even better this year – and so if you're Malik Heath, because there is some buzz around that program, and I think that he would have an opportunity to put up some big numbers there, that might be a good decision for him. But I'm a Malik Heath fan. And listen, let me, let me, let me preface that by saying, listen, there are no perfect people out there. But I do believe Malik Heath is a guy that has a really good heart. He's made some bad decisions. Uh, I don't believe he's a bad person by any stretch. And I, I'm pulling for Malik. And, and, hey, if he goes to Jackson State, hope he goes down there and has a big year. It's an All-American. You know, and, uh, and, and really sets himself up well for draft positioning and a chance to take care of himself and his family in the future. He has his college degree. He is a Mississippi State alum, so he's one of us. And, you know, we, we, were, we thought, you know, last week or so there was some talk, well, you know, maybe he's back, you know, maybe it'll work out and he's able to come back, and, but that's not the case. So, so he's moving on, and everybody says, well, Steve, why, why, why? You know, the whys don't matter. They all mean the same thing. Gone is gone. You know, it's just kind of how things work. But he's not leaving because, uh, you know, that he that he was unhappy, you know, with his role here. You know, he was a guy that tweeted out shortly after his accident to Coach Steve Spurrier. He hey, we're looking forward to next year, you know. and But things didn't work out, you know, the way maybe that he intended. But, um, you know, it is what it is, but he's moved on. So that makes 11 transfers from Mississippi State. Now, a lot of casual fans hear that number and think, oh, my gosh. We've been over this on the show before. If you've listened to previous shows, you know that State is actually among the best in the SEC when it comes to player retention. The transfer portal is a pack, effect, affecting everybody. It's like we're only kind of acutely aware of what happens in our little maroon bubble. But there's a ton of transfers out there, a ton. Now, sometimes that's best for everybody involved. But uh, I wrote an article last week You know, about the production. Mississippi State is not losing much when it comes to production. Are you losing some potential? Maybe. Maybe. You lose Aaron Brulee, that's significant for sure. Outside of that, there hadn't been a lot of production until Malik Heath. And let's be honest, as much as I like Malik, he hadn't been the player that I I had hoped that he would be. You know, I I was hoping that he would be a difference maker. Uh, but he has to show some flashes. You know, and again, this is a guy, too, that's got to get healthy. Got to grow up a little bit. But, uh, you know, Malik Heath, probably the, the second most important loss of the season when it comes to the transfer portal. Many of the players have gone in the transfer portal have really made no significant contribution to Mississippi State sports. And that's not to you know, maybe cast any shade in their direction. The reality of it is, is that this is the Southeastern Conference. There are a lot of people that show up as developmental players that don't develop, and not just here but elsewhere. You get buried down the depth chart and you start thinking, man, I'm coming out here every day, I'm going through all the same lifts as everybody else, I'm eating the same meals, going to all the same meetings, but yet I'm not getting any payoff by playing. Maybe I'm better off somewhere else, and that's okay too. It's not always something personal. You know, we like to think that it is, but it's not always something personal. And, you know, here's the thing too is everybody back home is like, man, you need to get in the portal. You need to get in the portal and go somewhere else. You're not going to get an opportunity there. So you've got people kind of preying on them. That's not necessarily that means that they have ill intentions, but I know that, uh, you know, I'll give you a good example. Is, uh, you know, Kentrell Bullock is a guy from my hometown. You know, he's at Ole Miss, and there have been some people who are like, hey, you know, listen, he needs to get in the portal. Well, you know, I, I think that would be a mistake if you're Kentrell Bullock, honestly. Not that I'm an Ole Miss supporter by any stretch of the imagination, but, I you know, I want all of our guys from Columbia High School to have an opportunity But if you're Kentrell Bullock, I don't know that you could transfer into a situation better than what's in front of him at Ole Miss. You say, Steve, what are you talking about? They're bringing in Zach Evans. And that's true. But you know what? They lost three other running backs. So Kentrell Bullock is a guy that knows the system. He's a guy that knows the culture. He's a guy that knows the roster. And more importantly, the coaches and players know him. Kentrell Bullock is probably going to be the number two back behind a a former five-star. You know, so, yeah, so why would he go in the portal? You know, those are the things I think about. But, again, there's some people back home that's like, oh, you know, he needs to get in the portal and do that. I I, I completely disagree. I have no connection with Kentra. I haven't talked to him, I guess, since he was, uh, you know, a senior at Columbia High School. But if I did, I would encourage him, nah, you need to stay where you are because you're going to leave somewhere else. You're going to go to probably a more crowded depth chart. And so those are the things that I think people – don't really look at you know sometimes everybody has an opinion but not everybody has facts and so i just share that with you because again a lot of these young men are under a lot of pressure they really are there's no end to the advisors that they have and and, and many of those people really have their best interests at heart but just don't fully understand kind of lay the land you know it's like hey we just want to see our guy play we want to see our guy be happy and you know that, that should be everybody's focus Is we want to see these young people be successful but it doesn't always work out that way. And maybe if you can't be successful here or there or somewhere else, you need to make a move. Because again, you only get a short time in life to play sports. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. Might even go get dinner there tonight. May get it to go. May get some Bulldog Burger Company. And as I say that, you know, there are people within earshot here that's like, that sounds like a great idea. Sounds like a great idea i love bulldog burger company i loved them before they loved me they love me a lot now and i love them but i loved them before they loved me before they were even sponsors of the show i was a patron at bulldog burger company because i enjoyed my meal at bulldog burger company i continue to enjoy my meal with some bulldog burger company and you will too i've had everything on the menu absolutely everything on the menu I would venture to say I've probably been there 60 or more times. Easy. Probably more than that. Because usually what happens, like when some friends come to town, and they're like, hey, I'm going to be in town for a meeting, or we got this going on, or I'm dropping the kid off at a camp. I'd like to have lunch with you. Sure, let's meet at Bulldog Burger Company. Okay, fine with me. Let's go. It's kind of become my meeting place. Make it your meeting place, too. In more ways than one. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and the brand new one. Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. You'll be glad you went by there. Have the spring rolls as the appetizer. I would say I get three to four messages or tweets or, you know, tagged in pictures a week of people having the spring rolls. And then I see like the before and after pictures, and they automatically look better looking. It's incredible. It's science. Have that great restaurant quality hamburger. You'll be glad you did. Get the chocolate shake to go. You can eat a lot of places, but you can't feast a lot of places like you can at Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, before we get into some basketball stuff, and in case you hadn't noticed as of late, I've been a little more excited about basketball, like many of you. It's like I'm I'm kind of planning my evening around the fact that Bulldogs are playing tonight. Like, hey, i got to be somewhere around the television, i got to get all my stuff done before that ball game comes on. And, you know, in the last couple of years, at times, I think, oh, yeah, yeah, we're playing tonight. No, no I get excited about it. I'm excited to see us play uh, this evening. Really excited about it. I think we got a chance to go get a W down there. But um, So before we get into all of that, let's talk about the newcomers. You know, not a huge surprise, I guess, in many respects. Uh, many of you, if you have listened to this show and if you subscribe to jeanspage.com, and if you don't, you certainly should, like I read with great interest yesterday on social media, some people were like, "Hey, well wait a minute. Oh, we got a kicker?" Yeah. Yeah, we did. And if you have listened to this show, and you have been uh, <laughs> if you have been on the um, jeanspage.com message boards, Paul Jones and I've kind of let everybody know, you know for a while now, that uh, you know we got some cool things happening. And so Massimo Biscardi from coastal Carolina makes a move, he is here. On campus, he is here ready to roll. Pretty exciting stuff. now also too, uh, as of note, this has just kind of happened here here within the last uh, you know last few minutes, I guess, you know since we have kind of all been together. but uh, Ben Rayburn Ben Rabin, excuse me, Ben Rabin is a, uh, a punter that is going to transfer to Mississippi State too. and so that that there's going to be some they want to announce all the walk-ons. But they will announce the, um, you know, they'll announce the scholarship guys that are coming on, and that's one of the reasons that you see Massimo uh, announced. But uh, pretty good stuff here. Ben makes a move from Northern Colorado athletics, the Bears up there. Uh, ben is a guy too that uh, you know, obviously has competed the college level, Division One FBS level. So we're, we're eager to get him in. And that's the thing, too. One of the things I give Mike Leach and his staff a lot of credit for, when there is an issue, they will address it. May not address it as quickly as some of our fans want it to be addressed, but they will address it. Ben tweets out earlier, couldn't be more excited to announce I'll be playing my last year of college football at Mississippi State. Thank you to everyone who has helped and supported me along the way. 100% time to get to work. Hashtag hell State. He also has a very interesting mustache there. Very, very interesting mustache. So, uh, Ben, again, will come on and compete with Archer Trafford for the starting position at punter. You know, Tucker Day is a guy that's been here around here for a while, elected to declare to go pro. Sure, he'll get a chance to get into camp with somebody, and we'll see how things progress. That's the thing with Tucker. Tucker's got a big lag. Consistency was always kind of the issue. So, uh, Ben joining the program, and. Uh, be a cool thing to kind of see that unit retooled you guys all understand that we're all excited about that as we should be that was one of those things that you know that that was that was a bone of contention all year long for us all right so and there there will be some other announcements jackie matthews not announced yet and then justin robinson from georgia not announced yet that that could happen at any time by the time you listen to this show it may have already been announced but as of yesterday Here are the new enrollees that have been announced by Mississippi State University. Defensive back Marcus Banks out of Houston, Texas, the Kennedy High School former Alabama player. We expect him to come in and immediately compete for the starting position opposite Emmanuel Forbes at corner. He, DeCarlos Nicholson, and DeCambrian Richardson will all kind of be locked in there. And that's the thing you think about. You generally only play four corners over the course of a ballgame. You got DeCarlos coming in. You got DCAM coming back. You got Furge. You got it's kind of a journeyman that, uh, you know, that, that, it's almost like they've tried to run him off and they just won't leave. The guy just keeps showing up and, and started some games for us. I think he is a solid depth guy. But you have really embraced the fact that you needed to kind of retool this position group. You know, kind of had, uh, you know, let's just, let's just call it what it was a subpar year recruiting last year at corner. This year has been much better. Marcus Banks, kind of a centerpiece of that group, kicker Massimo Biscardi. We mentioned him. He did not make a public declaration about his transfer destination until yesterday, and then the university releases that he's committed. I actually reached out to him a couple times on social media to see if we couldn't do an interview, and and he never responded. You know, and that that happens, especially with transfers. A lot of these guys have been through this process before. They don't really want to do interviews. They don't really want to you know, make any public declarations. A lot of times, they don't even want schools to know who all offered them. Dealt with that a few times lately, too. Defensive lineman Jacarius Clayton from Tupelo, Mississippi, you may recall he flipped to Mississippi State from Ole Miss back on National Signing Day. Kind of that late visitor coming back from the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game. Former Mississippi State commitment. Then it was all this discussion, is he an O-lineman? Is he a V-lineman? You know, State kind of projected him as an offensive lineman. He kind of was like, hey, I really want to play D-line. I'll play offensive line if I have to, but I really feel like I'm better at D-line. So then all of a sudden, Phelps and, and uh, Arnett and those guys are kind of carrying the heavyweight the Mississippi State recruiting efforts. Well, then he flips to Ole Miss. And then late in the process, we started getting some, some chatter, some back-channel chatter that that commitment might not be quite what they think it is. And then, you know, he sneaks up here and takes a visit. And the truth of the matter is, we probably should have held the news. Probably should have held the news. And that's the thing, too. Sometimes you got to think about, you know, the impact of what you're reporting, what it's going to have on somebody else, especially a 17-, 18-year-old young man. You know, can you imagine the pressure that he and his family were under once it got out that he had uh, snuck up to Mississippi State after going to the All-Star game and took a visit to Mississippi State? Now, Jacaria J- says he just turned his phone off. You know, he didn't have to deal with it. But, um, you know, may have, been better, may have been better theater if we had held that news and just let everybody find that on National Signing Day. Wide receiver Janaris Hobson, kind of an undervalued recruit in this class. I mean, I had a chance to see him back in the spring at a 7-on-7 tournament over in Birmingham. I loved him. I, th- I thought he was great. I thought he was the, the, the best offensive player on the field that day. Not just because of the fact that he was the guy that made plays, but he was the guy that kind of took ownership of the team and ownership of the moment. Like when there was a play that needed to be made, he, you could just kind of see that look in his eyes. He kind of communicated with his quarterback. To let me, hey, look for me here. I got the guy. He was outstanding. And uh, it reminds me a lot of Jamion Lewis. And what I mean by that is, you know, Janoris might be a little bit bigger. But he has that same type of, you know, alpha dog type mentality. There's some real toughness with this guy. Uh, I really like his game. I like the fact that he's an early enrollment guy. I like the fact that, uh, you know, his dad is a guy that was very involved in his recruitment, but also, too, not a guy that was like, hey, this is what we're going to do. It was kind of like, hey... I'm going to go around and and take you on these trips and, and we're going to go make some memories together and then you're going to make a decision, but I'm going to make sure that you get the most informed information possible. And Janaris was leaning to Mississippi State's way even way back in early spring. And now here he is on campus. And I think sometimes, you know, guys that commit early sometimes lose their hype and people forget how much we wanted him prior to his commitment. They're like, oh, what's he waiting for? Let's get him, let's get him, let's get him. Then we get him, and it's kind of like, you know, the conversation changes. We kind of move on and begin to think about other players, you know, because, like, what we have is great, but let's talk about what's next. But I think Hop is a guy, too, that um, I won't be the least bit surprised if he is not a contributor early in his career. You know, I think about some of the other guys that we have, you know, at that position. You know, you kind of know what you've got coming back, and I think Hop is a guy, too, that knows how to work. And Horn Lake has done a good job producing players as of late. There were years they always had athletes, but they didn't always have prospects. Coach Steffel, they're doing a good job, you know, cultivating and kind of developing these guys. And I think Hop is a guy too. I think we're going to look back one day and say, you know, remember that, remember that guy, that Janoris Hobson guy that you know that we signed. And you're like, oh yeah, that's the guy that just scored. Offensive lineman Percy Lewis, well documented here. Well documented. This is a, was a wild recruitment. You know, he was committed to Oregon early on. And I think most of us knew that there were, the chances of a guy from McAdams High School going to Oregon were pretty slim. And, hey, give it to Joe and those guys for getting him to commit early. But I would say by the time the summer rolled around, you know, the word behind the scenes was he is going to sign with an SEC school. He is a guy that is an SEC guy. He is going to have multiple opportunities to play in the Southeastern Conference. Of course, State Ole Miss, others, and up offering him, he likes to stay closer to home. It boiled down to a State Ole Miss battle. It was wild. I mean, it really was. It's one of those kind of like when I write the retirement book and go into hiding like Salman Rushdie, this is one of those that I'll write about. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And I give Percy a lot of credit. You know, Percy and his family just kind of said, hey, you know, that's what we're going to do. You know they waited to the end to say it, which is probably the smart thing to do when you're you know, the center of a contentious recruitment. But uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State both pursued him incredibly hard, made it a very difficult decision. And you know what we had heard, I would say maybe maybe two months, maybe back late September, early October, was uh, that you know he he and Carson Williams were just as thick as thieves, and that you know he would spend a lot of time talking to Carson and. Carson had a lot of great things to say about Mississippi State, Mason Miller, and about Mike Leach. And so you had a guy here that was kind of part of uh, your inner circle that would shoot you straight. And I think, again, that goes back to kind of roster management the right way. You know, Mississippi State goes out and gets Carson Williams last year. You had to go get an older guy, even if it's just as a depth guy. And he comes in here and he has a good experience. And so rather than him tell Percy Lewis, oh, man, you're better off going somewhere else, he's like, oh, man, you need to come up here and be with us. So here he is. He will be, I would say, he and Nick Jones will compete at left tackle. You know, Percy is the more gifted athlete. And that's not a slight at Nick Jones. But Percy Lewis is a mammoth offensive tackle. So if you remember last year in the spring practice, Jalen Green ran second team. Jameer Calvin ran second team. Makai Polk ran second team. Now, despite the fact that we watched them, Randy Charlton was second team. I guess Jameer didn't get here quite then. But all of the transfers last year that took part in spring practice all ran second team. And so when you get the reports from spring practice this year and Percy Lewis, maybe you're running second team, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Just kind of relax. Because Mike Leach isn't going to give anybody a starting spot. And it's disrespectful to the guys that are returning that that somebody shows up day one and you hand them a – You know, a seat at the table. You got to make them earn it. So if you read those reports, like, oh, he must not be as well we thought, you know, as Randy Randy Charlton and those guys were like that too. You know, so you got to give them some time to kind of learn the system and, you know, then we'll see what happens in the fall. And of course, once we got into the fall, Makai Polk, Joe, and Green were running first team. Randy Charlton was kind of back and forth between first and second team. And then Jordan Davis goes down and then, you know, he was first team the rest of the year. So, I say that to kind of preface that because that's what's going to happen and people are going to forget. You know, I do this for a living. You know, we go watch Mississippi State practice and play uh, when we can. And I remember all that last year. And I thought, you know what? This is Michael Leach kind of sending a message to those newcomers. It's like, you got to earn it. We're not going to give you a starting spot. Now, they were they were getting plenty of reps. Much will be the case with Percy Lewis as well. So, when again, when you read Paul Jones's depth chart after the first couple of spring practices and Percy's running second team, don't go run to Facebook and say, see, I told you, because you're going to be wrong. Quarterback Braden Locke, this was a very, very, very interesting recruitment too because he had a ton of options, took a ton of visits, but got it done early. And once he got it done, he was finished, absolutely finished. This is a guy that wants to play in the air raid. And, it was, again, wasn't scared away by the fact that you've got Will Rogers coming back you got two quarterbacks ahead of him, ahead of you, between you and Will Rogers. I mean, so you're kind of coming in from Jump Street as the number four guy. But Mike Leach kind of explains that to people. And here's the thing that I've always thought, too. If you're dependent on a freshman quarterback to come in and play, it's not going to be a very good year. It's just not. Old is what wins in college football. There are some rare occasions where a young quarterback will show up, and the reason we remember those names is because they're the exception rather than the rule. But I like Braden Locke, not the biggest guy, has a big arm, very decisive with the football, played in an offense there at Rockwall High School that um, is very you know, similar to the air raid offense. They run a lot of the same concepts that Mike Leach does. Wide receiver Jordan Mosley for Northwestern, we talked about him recently, former four-star Adam McGill-Tool in Mobile, Alabama. Like his game a lot, but he is more of a straight-line runner. The, the thing that I kind of noted in my scouting report is there's not a lot of variety in the route tree. Now, some of that, too, may just be a byproduct of you take what the defense gives you, and when you have the fastest guy on the field, it's like, hey, let's just run the fade. Let's just run the fade. And then they, the thing that I kind of noticed, too, is they didn't have the jump ball in the red zone with him. They ran the slant a lot. That makes me wonder, is that, can he not elevate? Can the quarterback not throw it? You know, that's the thing you kind of figure out. But when you've got a guy that legitimately runs track level speed around the 4-4s, low 4-4s, you know, some people suggest he's run sub 4-4. I haven't seen that other than people's reporting that. But when you've got a guy like that, and you've got a guy that, number one, was a former Tennessee commitment too. It's not like, oh, well, he was from the southeast and nobody wanted him. He was committed to Tennessee until late in the process. And as I mentioned on the show when we broke his uh, kind of recruitment down, I think people forget what a mess it was at Tennessee this time last year. I mean, it was an absolute mess. You m- remember they, they, had, they opted out of the bowl game and said it was COVID-related. Next thing you know, we found out there's an NCAA investigation. You fire Jeremy Pruitt. There's his coaching search, and it seems like it takes forever to find anybody. And, of course, at the time, they, they thought that they were going to get Vince Lombardi and, you know – Didn't work out. Mike Ditka wouldn't come out of retirement. You know, it's just like – and they get Josh Heupel, who I think has done well. But it was a mess at Tennessee, a mess. And so Jordan Mosley elected to go elsewhere and then late in the process ends up going to Northwestern. Well, now he's back in the Southeastern Conference, which is where he wanted to be in the first place. And so, again, I'm okay going young in the portal, especially when you've got a guy that's got that kind of size and speed. Uh, Defensive back to Carlos Nicholson. Again, this is one too. Because we won and we've moved on, we kind of forget what a big deal it was. DeCarlos Nicholson committed to Mississippi State first, and then he got Florida State, and then he got Kentucky, and then there's all these other people that jumped in the mix with him. And I'll be honest with you, shortly after he decommitted, I was like, we're not getting this guy back. It's not going to work out. It's not. Well, he's not coming back. Well, then he committed to Kentucky. And and I'll be honest with you, when he committed to Kentucky, I was like, okay, we got a shot. If he had committed to Ole Miss – because in a lot of prospects, mine state and Ole Miss are really very similar. You know, it's two schools within the home state. You know, the distance from home is relatively the same. I would have been more worried. Not to mention there's some folks down there around Pedal, I'm sure, that are the Ole Miss persuasion that would have only aided in the cause. And I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. I'm just saying that there would have been a amount of local pressure. It's like, oh, we're so glad that you're part of our program, blah, blah, blah. You think anybody down at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College or in Petal, Mississippi, was was stumping for Kentucky? Of course not. There was nobody out there saying, hey man, really excited about you going to Lexington and being a wildcat. This is not gonna happen. But you get involved with the in-state schools, it's completely different. And the in-state people are like, hey man, excited you're a bulldog, excited you're a rebel. And so DeCarlos, Carlos, and I give Darcell McBath a lot of credit, and he and Darcell took a whipping last year on the message boards and social media. Darcel McBass a great coach. Now, the recruiting efforts last year, the recruiting results, were beneath what we needed them to be. But this year, much more in line with our expectations and in many respects exceeded our expectations. He never gave up on to Carlos Nicholson and then gets him back, flips him from Kentucky. Cont- Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's EUFY.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video Smart Lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. got that immigrated camera too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools, no drilling required. You get keyless entry, you don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. Get fingerprint recognition, Eufy Video Lock, that's E U F Y official dot com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy, E U F Y. Hockey on NAFL signing day. And, and then prevented him from visiting an all miss. People forget that too. It's like everybody remembers the kid that's committed to Mississippi State. They talk about, oh, you know, like Jaheim Otis, you know, Stephen said he was going to be visiting Mississippi State, and then he surprised everybody, and he goes to Ole Miss, ha, 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 and then he signs with Alabama. Womp, womp, womp. They forget about the fact that the Carlos Nicholson was highly coveted by Ole Miss. They're trying to get him on campus, and then Mississippi State shuts it down. Why don't we talk about that more? Or we can talk about, the you know, Ole Miss wanted Percy Lewis to come the final weekend. Mississippi State wanted Percy Lewis to come the final weekend. And what does he do? He visits Mississippi State the final weekend, reschedules his Ole Miss visit for the weekend before. And he was basically told, hey, if you're going to visit them, you need to go visit them before you visit us. And then he does. And so, again, we get so caught up in the losses sometimes we forget about the wins. So Mississippi State kind of dominated that aspect of it down the stretch. And then not to mention, there were so many Ole Miss people out there trying very, very hard to get some guys to come up and visit them after the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game. And lo and behold, the one guy that does go out and take a visit after the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game among the state Ole Miss prospects was Ja'Carrius Clayton that went to Mississippi State. So why aren't we talking about that? It's like we, we get so caught up in, oh, the staff does this and the staff doesn't do that. How about how they kind of orchestrated the official visit process late in the month of December, prior to signing day. They got what they wanted. Do they get everybody? No, they don't. But when it came to this whole thing with State, don't Miss, they kind of pushed Don't Miss around a little bit. But we don't talk about that enough. It's like, oh, there's this, and they they took M.J. Daniels from us, and yeah, they did. What shouldn't have been a big surprise, we talked about it on the show, talked about it on Gene's page, that it was very much a possibility. And then they sort of get blindsided by Jacarius Clayton. They can you know, say, well, you know, we're not so you know, sure about him. Whatever, whatever. You know that university, the whole thing is built on public relations and about headlines, things like that. And so Mississippi State really took the fight to Ole Miss late in the process. And went, if I'm not mistaken, went head-to-head on, what, eight prospects in the month of December and got them all? I think that's correct. I, mean, I remember we had the talking points together right after uh, signing day. But, um, you know, State got it done. Simple as that. State got it done. And so, again, we'll have a couple more announcements here in the days ahead. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, when you look at the numbers here, we talk about having, you know, you know 11 guys transfer out. And then you get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, plus 2. You're going to have 10, 11 guys scholarship-wise join the team this year. So, in many ways – there's a little bit of a trade there too you got 11 guys that aren't going to be part of spring practice and you've got 11 guys plus some walk-ons that will be so again it's good roster management and again i'm always a proponent of the early enrollment guy because he gets an opportunity to to number one acclimate the college life before you have to jump into the season you know what i'm saying you know how it was when you first went to college i mean you don't even know where walmart is right i mean it's like You move to a new town, it's like all of a sudden I got to take college level classes. How difficult is that going to be? Where do I park my car? Um, You know, where's the party? You know, you go through all that. So you have the benefit of the spring to do that. And then what do you have? 15 practices in spring, where you have 30 in fall? You know, so it's like you get through this part of it to kind of warm up and get settled, kind of learn the lay of the land, kind of begin to understand, you know, the challenging level of college sports and also two college courses then you get the benefit of summer where there's not as much you know activity on campus but by the time it's you get ready to begin the season you got six seven months of college life under your belt so the learning curve as you get into fall camp is so much better than it would be if you just showed up you know in july you get a chance to kind of develop and mature and give yourself a chance to acclimate to new surroundings you're in transition it's such a major major transition in life you know for many of us you know leaving home was a big deal and you can say well that's the case for everybody well not really a lot of people that you know a lot of kids out there in many respects have kind of raised themselves as high school teenagers and so they're used to kind of getting themselves up and driving themselves to class and driving themselves to activities so all of that is kind of taken care of and so they've already begun to kind of get out of the nest a little bit but there are some others that maybe didn't have a vehicle and maybe were dependent on other people and, and maybe had somebody to get them up and feed them breakfast every day. And now all of a sudden, you've got to learn to be a little more independent of yourself. And so that is a difficult transition for many people. And so you've got to give yourself a chance to transition. And I think being the early enrollment uh, student really gives you a chance to do that before the demands of college football season are really, really realized. All right, let's thank our good friend, Blair Chandler. Blair is my friend, your friend, and it pays to have a friend in the industry. There are a lot of people that have friends that'll do a lot for them, but I always love the fact that I know some people when I need to get something done, something that I can't do myself, that I've got friends I can call on. And Blair Chandler is one of those folks. If you are looking to refinance your mortgage or perhaps get a new mortgage, maybe perhaps you're looking to buy a home for the first time, maybe you're relocating, Maybe you need a second mortgage. Get that HELOC. uh, Get some things working for you. I think Blair's the guy to work with. I like doing business with Bulldogs, and Blair does too. Blair has shared with me, if you are a listener of this show, no matter your college allegiance, you mentioned to him, hey, Blair, I heard about you on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. There's so many fees associated, you know, with getting a mortgage closed. Anytime that you can save a few bucks, that's a good thing. And, again, it just shows you how Blair wants your business. Here's the deal. 21 years of experience in the industry in a top 1% close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction and mortgage lending. So not only do you have a great guy working for a great company doing a great job, the guy's giving you a great incentive to, to do business with him. Again, mention to him about the boneyard, and you get your appraisal for free. Let me give you his personal cell number. 601 500 2344 Again at 601-500-2344. And if for somehow you miss the number and you don't you're maybe you're too lazy to go back and look it up, just message me. I'll send it to you. I got Blair in my phone. Just message me on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever. And, and many of you have. And so and, and Blair's told me, yeah, hey, he's got some loans in the pipeline from Boneyard listeners. So thank you uh for that. And and again, thank you, Blair, for sponsoring the top 10 list. And again, check them out on the World Wide Web at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Today's top 10 list. I probably could have put a great list together myself, but I involved my sons in the voting process. We're doing Post Malone today. That's right, We're doing Post Malone. Uh, Audrey's good friend Chandler, who was... Uh, from Brookhaven, Mississippi. And uh, been a great supporter of mine. I've met him and his dad, and uh, he's been a great friend of my daughter. Like if we've ever needed to move anything. Matter of fact, there have been a couple times when uh, when, when book shipments have arrived in Starkville, my publisher's been able to hire Chandler to come help offload trucks. Yeah, it's it's outstanding, he's just a good dude. And so he mentioned to Audrey, hey, we need a Post Malone top 10. And so I reached out, I'm a big Post Malone fan, but I wanted to, hey, I don't wanna miss anything here. I don't want to miss any deep tracks. So we got a pretty good top 10 list together. I like Post Malone. I think most people do. Some people don't. They're haters of everybody. Now, some of these songs on here are going to be big hits. Some of them are going to be deeper tracks. And maybe your favorite didn't make the list. But you can make your own list, have your own show. It wouldn't be as good as this one, but you can do it. I won't stand in your way. But here are some honorable mentions that didn't make the list. Now, some of these, I'll be honest with you, I really like and they're probably top 10 worthy some of the language is probably maybe not top 10 worthy and that's not that I'm some Pollyanna or anything like that I'm not sitting here clutching my pearls when I hear those songs but uh, same same bees you know the song I'm talking about same bees got uh, the G-Eazy on it too And I think G-Eazy's verse is the best that's an honorable mention it's over now which is probably one you don't need to listen to with your kids in the car Blame It On Me, that's another great one. Almost Made The List, and then Myself off of Hollywood Is Bleeding. Uh, Stoney is a great album. Beer bongs and Bentleys is great. Uh, I also want to throw an honorable mention to Motley Crue. There's a track that he does called Motley Crew. C-R-E-W. That's a single that was released uh, back in 2021. It's a little different. It's a little different. It's got a cool vibe to it. But here's a top ten. Here's a top ten. And I made a big mistake. I had Blair Chandler on the mind. It's not, Audrey's friend's name is Colton, not Chandler. So I apologize, Colton. I apologize. I had, Blair, I had Blair's phone number pulled up in front of me, and I mentioned Chandler because I'm old and decrepit. I'm from the 1900s. You have to forgive me. But it's Colton, our friend Colton from Brookhaven. We love him to death. He's a great friend of our family. So this is for you, Colton. And this isn't just my list. I, I did get Ani and Ian to both weigh in. And I think we all agree There's only one. there was one, one song that we, didn't dis, that we did disagree on. Uh, Too Young, that's one that didn't make my list that Ani was adamant should be a top five Post Malone song. I didn't include it. Ian agreed with me. It's a two-to-one vote. We did not include it. So number 10, not a single, but a great track. It's off, off uh, bongs and Bentleys. It's 92 Explorer. And if you remember, if, for those of you that are a little bit young, we used to have the Well rims. Like when you stop and then your, your rims kept spinning. Like that was like all the rave for a while. And then eventually they kind of broke down. Some people still use them, but they're not as popular as they once were. But there was a craze. And so Post talks about that. You know, my whip stops my wheels keep spinning. 92 Explore. Number nine, we actually played a song at Duty Noble Field. I dig it. I think most people do. It probably didn't chart as high as I think it should have. But uh, it was a song that was very popular even on Top 40 Radio, and that's Sunflower. Sunflower, number nine on the list. Number eight, and uh, this may be a little bit undervalued on the list, but there have been so many hits for Post Malone. I felt like that maybe I was taking too many personal liberties with this one. But off of Hollywood is Bleeding, featuring the great one, the Prince of Darkness himself, Ozzy Osbourne. It's Take What You Want. Take What You Want. I love Ozzy's voice on this one. And listen, I get that there's, like, technology and that kind of stuff that get enhance stuff. But I remember when I read an interview right after they recorded this, they said Ozzy absolutely killed it. They had sent the song to Ozzy, then Ozzy recorded this part, and they sent it back, and they were all excited. And I was thinking, how is this going to work, you know, Ozzy on a rap song? It's, it's genius, and it's not even a real rap song. It is uh, – and that's the thing about Post Malone I like, a little more versatility with him unlike some other people in the industry these days. Number seven, a shout-out to uh, one of the, the iconic Mississippi State football players, Dak Prescott, on his song. It's the song, Wow. And, yes, Post Malone's a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And uh, says, hey, you know, we're, we're, never, we're never punt, always going for it, Hail Mary, Prescott, touchdown. I think that's exactly how that goes. But, anyway, shout-out to Dak Prescott. The song is wow. I, I love the bass on this one, too. It sounds great in the car. Number seven, wow on the list. Number six, a song that probably is higher on my list than it would be on most lists. I love this song, and I think it's one of those songs that's probably a little bit undervalued. The track itself is really unlike anything else in the catalog, and I think post-delivery is really good, too. It's other side. Other side, number six on the list. Number five, this is one that Ian really fought for and thought should be top three. I disagreed. I'm the dad. I make the call but circles circles is another great track and again one that got some radio airplay and a lot of people absolutely dig this one too i think now that we're at the final four i think most people would agree these are the top four post-blown songs we may disagree about the order but i think most people would agree these are the biggest hits in the post-blown catalog you may disagree but i think that the the general populace would disagree with you number four a song that was everywhere about two years ago everywhere and I, I i said before there should be a rock version of this somebody should go out there and play this live and rock it up and put more of an edge on it but it's better now and i think at some point we've all felt that way you only say that because i'm not around you say that you're better now but it's only because you can't say it to my face you know you just kind of say it to your friends and your family but we both know we both know you're not better now and i'm not either again it's kind of the uh you know, the dying pangs of a relationship. Number three, former walkout song from National Championship first baseman Luke Hancock is Congratulations. This, I think this was the first, the first Post Malone song that I heard regularly. I was a little bit later on the bandwagon, uh, unlike some of you, but congratulations. Cool track. I, I kind of identify with that song. I think it's grand. Number two, another one off uh beer bongs and bentley's if i'm not mistaken it's uh it's rockstar and again this is one that's you know there's there's some drug references in this song too so you need to be mindful of that too not not that i think that your kids are a bunch of sheep but uh probably don't want to listen to this when your young kids in the car but rockstar is a great track and uh was the first single off that album but number one and it's the one that started it all and i actually recently watched an interview with post when he he actually dropped this song on SoundCloud. He was an unsigned artist at the time. And he drops this with a picture of Alan Iverson, and it's the song White Iverson, number one on the list, White Iverson. And he said there were so many people that said, hey, don't drop this track. It's not you. But his heart was in it, and he said, you know what, I love it. And then he goes to bed, and he wakes up, and it's got all these downloads, and all of a sudden all this social media stuff is filling up. And it really was the breakthrough song for him. And even now, I think it holds up. I think it's grand. I really do. And I think many, most people today will listen to that and say, you know what? He has evolved a lot as an artist since then, but this is when he truly shared who he really was. I think it's great. A lot of good imagery in the, in the song. But, uh, and not to mention, too, uh, Post Malone is not even a basketball player. Kind of interesting how that all kind of unfolds. He was on, I guess it was Ridiculousness, and they asked him about that and said, hey, can you hoop? And he goes, oh, man, not not at all. So, there you go. There's your top 10 list brought to you by your good friend Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. All right, time to preview the Florida Gators men's basketball game tonight. This segment of the show brought to you by campusbookmart.net. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, they will treat you like family because, in their minds, you are family. It's as simple as that. I love doing business with them. I did business with them before they sponsored the show. But I tell you that I have learned. If I need something, they have it. If they don't, they can get it. Those are the things that I love about doing business locally. You know, you live in some big town, you go, oh, we're sorry, we don't stock that. Miss Kathy Brown is one of the best buyers in the industry when it comes to Mississippi State merchandise. She will keep that store fully stocked with great and new Mississippi State merch. You be sure to check them out. If you can't make it to town, Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal bondyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. You know what it is. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And you know what? College baseball season is going to be here soon. And you're going to be wanting to wear that M over S wherever you go be sure and get something fresh don't just you know save the older stuff for later in the year but opening day you need to have some new mississippi state merch take care of that today at campusbookmark.net. let's talk men's basketball bulldogs will play florida tonight this florida team you know i always kind of struggle with this how is florida ever not great and everything i mean honestly how does that happen You know, with their resources, their recruiting footprint, how does Florida never contend in everything? I mean, it just, you know, and again, I'm not being critical of anybody. It just seems to me that with their resources, Florida should always be contending. They're not in men's basketball. And really, to be honest with you, I would venture to say that this year has already been a bit of a disappointment. Now, There's plenty of basketball left to be played. But the Gators now 10-6 and 1-3 and and in the SEC. Still early, but 10-6, not a great record. 1-3, certainly not great within our conference. So uh, looking back at how it all started for those guys, they pick up a win over e early on. They beat number 20 Florida State in the O'Connell Center pretty well, too, 71-55. And, and you know, the O-Dome has been a place that's been a little difficult to play at times. It was that night for the, for the Seminoles. Uh, they take care of Milwaukee in grand fashion, 81-45. They beat Cal, beat Ohio State. So you got some, you know, some Power Five comp. Not that they're great basketball schools, but uh, pretty good for the non-conference. And so they uh, open up a six-and-zero start with their game against Troy, 84-45. And you feel like, okay, maybe Florida is back. And then what do they do? They go to Norman, Oklahoma and get beat 74-67. You think, "Well, you know, Steve, it's a road game in a Power 5 conference. I get it." Well, then the very next ball game, December 6th, they lose by 15 at home to Texas Southern. That's right, Texas Southern. Goes into Gainesville and beats the Gators pretty soundly. They bounce back after two losses and take care of North Florida 85-55. They go to Brooklyn to play in the Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational, lose to Maryland by two. So that's three of four losses. They, in the Orange Ball Classic, they take care of South Florida 66-55. And they beat Stony Brook 87-62. Get into SEC play. The opener against Ole Miss and Oxford was postponed. And then they lose 83-70 to Alabama, the team that Mississippi State just defeated on Saturday. They lose at Auburn, 85-73. Both of those games, double-digit losses. And then last Wednesday, in Gainesville, the LSU Tigers with uh, Will Wade, the American gangster, goes into Gainesville, and the Tigers win 64-58. So three consecutive losses to open SEC play. And then over the weekend, the Gators finally pick up their first SEC win. What a 71-63 W over South Carolina. So again, you look at this and say, hey, They've been pretty good, but they're not what we would expect. Just 6-3 at home. Not sure people expected that. 6-3 in the O'Connell Center. So let's look inside the numbers here. Look at who you should be familiar with. And again, this game tips tonight. uh, 5.30 Starkville time. So right when you're getting off work, you can turn to the pregame show. Uh, Florida Gators averaging 72.5 points a game, allowing 63.4. I don't know that we win a game in the 70s. We probably need to keep this game in the 60s, but we'll see. State offensive, offensively has been a little bit better uh, as of late. Gators shooting 43%, 43.1%, and allowing 43.2. So it's pretty even in that respect, what you would expect from a team that is kind of middle of the road. Three-point percentage, they're shooting 30.6%, allowing 30.5. And so they will shoot at some from the perimeter. In fact, they've attempted... 396 shots from beyond the arc. Opponents have shot 80 of 262. So, again, the numbers are comparable from a percentage standpoint, but Florida jacking up a lot uh, from beyond the arc. We're going to have to get out there and cover. We did a pretty good job against Alabama at times. Of course, late they made some shots, but uh, they're making 7.6 threes per ballgame. Free throw percentage, that's been a real challenge for them. They're shooting less than 70%, 69% their opponents And even though there is no defense for free throws, 65.8%. So if we can get up there and make some free throws, we've got a chance to uh, to probably shorten this game a little bit and kind of stay in there, take those points when we get them. Uh, They're averaging 36.7 boards a game, allowing 34.3. So a plus 2.4 in the rebounding margin for them. And again, that's not really significant. And for a team that doesn't shoot it exceptionally well, you would expect them to to probably rebound a little bit better. 13.2 assists a game and allowing 10.3 turnovers. A bit of a problem uh, for them. 13.6 turnovers per game. Their opponents have turned it over 16.3% of the time. SEC play a little bit different. So 2.7 differential in favor of Florida in the turnovers. Points off turnovers, they will capitalize their athletic. 19.9 points per game off turnovers. While allowing just over 13 151 steals on the season that works out to just 9.4 per game and then allowing 129 which is eight per game so a bit of a differential there again kind of favoring the gators they have blocked a lot of shots so 98 that's just over 6.1 per game they've allowed 58 3.6 per game so uh, really exerting themselves there in post defense had some bigger crowds out there this year. I don't know what we'll see uh, this evening. But, again, this is a game I think Mississippi State can win. Will we win it? I don't know. Florida's actually favored, and that that's kind of stands to reason. You know, when you play in this league, you go on the road, it's pretty rare that you're favored in an opponent's arena. But, again, I think State can win this game. I think State's playing with a lot more confidence right now. Number 12, Colin Castleton. He's the guy that kind of stirs the drink for them. 247 total points. Leads the team – 15.4 points per game. He has started all 16 games uh, playing a good bit, too. A forward out of uh, DeLand, Florida. Attended Father Lopez Catholic, 6'11 forward. This is where we need Tolu Smith and Garrison Brooks to really play well. Can't allow him to kind of set up uh, camp down there and give us trouble. Leads the team with 145 rebounds. Nearly averaging a double-double. 9.1 boards per ball game. Also handed out 28 assists and has 13 steals and leads a team with 44 blocks. That 41 turnovers, though, that's a big number, too. That's second on the team. Pretty big number there. Uh, Flanders Fleming, Jr., averaging 10.9 points per game, the only other double-digit scorer on this team. They really kind of do it by committee. Uh, Flanders Fleming, Jr., uh, 16 games played, just six starts, is a 6'5", 205 grad student guard, a guy that they're expecting some big things from, to say the least. You don't go out and sign those guys uh, if, if you don't. But uh, he has attempted 52 three-pointers three on the year, hitting about 36.5%. The one guy that's going to jack it up more times than not, Myron Jones, 96 three-point attempts, which is the most on the Gators team, shooting just over 30% averaging 9.7 points a ball game, uh, pulling down three and a half rebounds. Tyree Appleby started 12 games of the 16, averaging 9.1 points per game, not much of a threat on the rebounding side, pulling down just two boards a game. It really looks like Castleton is kind of the guy, you know, and that kind of goes without saying, but they just don't seem to have a very strong supporting cast around him. But you know, looking through these numbers, I and mean, when you look at it, you say, okay, on paper, this doesn't look like a great team. Anytime that you have recruited at the level Florida has the last several years, and you're playing in their arena, you're going to have to bring your best effort. And so do I expect Mississippi State to win? I don't really know. But I do think this is a winnable game for us. And I think if we can defend in the post, and we can deny Castleton the basketball, we make somebody else beat us, then we've got a real chance to win this game. The one of the things you got to watch against Florida too is the inside-out game. You know, you begin to double in the post, and then all of a sudden he dishes out to wide-open shooter out there beyond the arc in the half-court set. Next thing you know, you're in some trouble. So we'll see how things really kind of progress. I'm eager to see the game, like many of you. And again, I think that is a testament to Ben Howland. And uh, spoke to somebody yesterday, very, very, very close to the Mississippi State Athletic Department. We talked about how significant the win over Alabama was. It's like, you know what, not just is it big for our fan base and big for our program, it's big for Ben. I mean, it really, really is. Because how many times in the past, if we, we win a game or two, people begin to believe, and then we have a chance at a quad one win, and then we blow it, and that's that didn't happen. We finished the deal. And, uh, again, congratulations to those guys. Now let's kind of keep it going. And Mississippi State, of course, will host Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, that's a big game, too. But this is a huge game, too, because it is the next game But it's also a game you look at and say, hey, they have really struggled in SEC play. We need to kind of get them while they're down before they kind of figure some things out. And so, you know, as well as I do, we will get their best shot. The fact that we have won a couple in a row, too, they're going to be uh, up to play us. It's not going to be a situation where we're going to sneak up on those guys. They're going to be very, very aware of what Mississippi State can and can't do. This is where I think Tolu Smith can make a big difference. You know, Tolu, of course, conditioning not quite there this past weekend. Did he get – got in some foul trouble as well. We need him to stay in this ballgame. We need him to stay out of foul trouble. We need him to be able to get in there and really compete, you know, with Castleton and kind of make somebody else carry the freight for them. This Florida team obviously is a, is a team that's got some talent, even though their record may not truly reflect their potential. But they're a, game, a, a team, too, that uh, I think are somewhat vulnerable right now, too. I like the matchup for us. I really do. I like the matchup because I do think that we do play strong post-defense and if we can make some baskets uh, you know, down there ourselves and maybe get him in a little foul trouble. You know, how about that? He is a guy, too, that uh, has done a pretty good job playing without fouling. Just 33 fouls on the season. That works out to just over two per game. So that's a chore for the Bulldog post players, too, is you know, what do you do with a guy that actually can play effective defense without getting too physical? Is, is it a chance for us to really go down there and bring the fight to him? You know, We'll see. I'm excited to see. I think that's what's going to determine this ballgame is how well we can defense Castleton, but also how we attack him when we're on offense. And maybe in some half-court sets, maybe you get him help side there and, and get him being a little bit over aggressive and doing a little too much. Maybe you can make some, some plays there. But again, a nice challenge for the Bulldogs, and it's the next test, which makes it the most important test. And like we talked about on Monday, we've made this a bigger game because we've won some ball games. Let's take a quick look at the SEC basketball standings. Not a lot has changed, but there, there were some games, you know, last night. Let's see here. If I, that's one thing I always pull these things up, and sometimes you get the wrong link. And next thing you know, you're down something you're not well, don't want to be. Um, so yeah, looking at the standings here, you know, Auburn, of course, still undefeated. A and M, Kentucky, Mississippi State, right there fourth in the SEC, just ahead of LSU, Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama. Uh, Vanderbilt, Missouri, all those teams, Alabama on down with losing records. Florida, one in three. South Carolina, one in four. Ole Miss now one in four, and uh, Georgia, zero oh and four. Ole Miss loses the ball game last night. I believe Missouri was without their um, well, one of their leading scores, and they they still managed a way to win the ball game. And so, uh, those things are awfully important too. When you get those matchups, you just cannot afford to let those games get away. Ole Miss now nine and eight overall. A lot of uh, of people upset about Kermit Davis up there. A lot of people. Uh, Also, this programming note, since this game, uh, since this show began, Mississippi State and the SEC uh, released a statement. There has been an adjustment to the Mississippi State schedule against Missouri. You know, we had to postpone a game back on January 5th. That game will be played basically a bit of a home-and-home type arrangement. Mississippi State will now play uh, Friday, February 18th at Humphrey Coliseum. And then the Mississippi State game from January 5th is going to go to the 20th. That's Sunday. So we're going to be very, very active (laughs) there for that week. We're going to have to squeeze that game in. It's going to be the same for everybody. But you really want to get those two games in against Missouri because those should be two winnable games. And, again, this is a team that's eight and nine overall and two and three in the conference. So you want to get those in while they may not make a big, you know, big dent in the net, make a big impact in that respect. As we continue to kind of climb the SEC ladder, those are two wins we need to be able to get. There's no doubt about it. Real quickly here too, looking at the, uh, you know, the the SEC schedule. Just because we're starting to pay closer attention, that sort of stuff, right? You know, now all of a sudden you start doing a little scoreboard watching. It's always about what we've got going on, but... It's going to be a busy night in the SEC. Mississippi State at Florida. LSU is at Alabama. And LSU has taken some really good teams into Coleman Coliseum and come home with a loss. Uh, Kentucky at A&M. That's going to be rather interesting. You know, a and a team that's ahead of us uh, in the standings. at 4-0 in the SEC. And then Georgia is at Auburn. I think we can go ahead and pencil in a loss there for uh, Tom Crane's Bulldogs. Is a uh, take on a team that uh, many consider the best in college basketball. Last night, Arkansas takes down South Carolina, 75-59. And Missouri, 78-53 winners in Oxford. And then Tennessee, 68-60 winners over Vanderbilt. So, uh, again, it's fun to be able to play meaningful basketball this time of year. I will say that win or lose tonight, my enthusiasm about men's basketball this season is not going to be impacted. Now, I don't want to go out there and get blown out by any stretch of imagination. But if State can go in there and win that ball game, and we certainly are capable of doing that, that would go a long way towards helping us build an NCAA tournament uh, resume. And now you know, Mississippi State, now listed by Joe Lenardi, is last four in. So we're beginning to kind of get some respect, but we've got to keep momentum going, and that means being able to go into places like Florida, a team that's losing record in the SEC, and be able to win a ball game. And then, of course, with a struggling on Miss team coming in this weekend, that is an absolute must-win for us. Absolute must-win for us. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know, our friend Brooks Bryan, he's my friend, your friend, a friend of Starkville, a friend of Mississippi State baseball. How about that? I believe in doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. Uh, you know, Brooks is kind of of the same persuasion, too. You know, he wants to make Starkville a better place. Part of a great group of folks that are in the process of – you know finishing up this great residential development here in starkville very easy to find you turn off of 82 on a 12 the very first right pat station road takes you to portico 1.1 miles from the mississippi state campus within a stone's throw of the walmart neighborhood market conveniently located for you right there so if you're on your way home and you forget to pick up something boom there it is you don't have to go all the way across town to get it done just jump in there and get it handled brooks is a guy too that uh you know, really committed to Mississippi State baseball. And, and we've talked before about there are a lot of our, our, our listeners that have bought homes there. They said, hey, you know what? Eventually we're going to retire to Starkville, so we're going to go ahead and make the plans now. Now it's kind of a secondary home for us. It's a vacation home. It's a ball ballgame weekend retreat type place. It's an investment property for us. But eventually when we retire, we're going to move into our home up there. Or maybe you're just thinking, you know what? Maybe it's now is the time. I've always wanted to live in Starkville or move back to Starkville. What better place than to go to Portico? Phase one, completely sold out. Phase two, the roads are done, getting all that stuff finished up, getting ready to to begin throwing those homes up. You can have some say in what your new home looks like. You can pick out your lot, have a say in your house plans. Brooks and those guys uh, you are know, pretty open to a lot of suggestions with all that stuff too. So maybe get it built the way you want it. You want some more information? I know you do. Give Brooks a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. told you guys before, I moved to Starkville. I moved out in the sticks after living all those years in Baton Rouge. I wanted to have some privacy and, uh, you know, have some land and be on some water and things like that. I got all that. But if I was moving to Starkville now, having had this experience, I would move to Portico because I'd want to be closer to campus. I'd want to be close to campus. And again, you're on the right side of campus. You're on the quiet side of campus, but you're close enough for convenience, but far enough away to have a little privacy. Again, go check it out today. Portico. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little college baseball. And uh, Division One baseball, D1 baseball. You remember D1 baseball used to just be kind of a, a, a hub for scores? You know, I guess they set up like an RSS feed or whatever and and they just had scores. You'd go to their website and you just have a scoreboard. And all of a sudden, a few years ago, they get some investors. They hire Kendall Rogers. They hire Aaron Fed. They've recently hired uh, Mike Rooney. You know, Kyle Peterson's involved with that group. I respect D1Baseball.com to the point that I'm a subscriber to D1Baseball.com. A lot of people out there providing college baseball content. I, I, I love these guys because when I'm on the road, they're on the road. I go all over to Southeastern Conference. I run into these guys. I go to Fort Worth, Texas to go watch the Bulldogs play. They're there. They get out and go see teams play. And so I use their rankings throughout the year. Other people use the coaches poll or they use Baseball America. And no disrespect to Teddy Cahill and Joe and those guys. Love those guys too. I have just had more interaction with D1 Baseball. I know some of you all think that Kendall Rogers is a homer for certain schools, and I I can just tell you – Based on my experiences with him, that's just not the case. And in fact, down the stretch, of all the college baseball experts when we got to Omaha, Kendall Rogers was the one that picked Mississippi State to win it. How about that? And then down the stretch, I had to remind him. I was like, hey, you're the only one. And he goes, was I? Yeah, you're the only one that picked Mississippi State. And so going into that final game, you know, Mississippi State, ready to go. Mississippi State wins it. Now Aaron Fitz says Kendall Rogers uh, you know, flips and flops a lot. You know, He kind of jumps on the fastest horse. But uh, I just respect the job those guys do, and we've broken down some other top 25 polls. I've been waiting for this one because I felt that it would be the most fair, not just to Mississippi State, but to everybody. There are a lot of teams out there that, you know, so much guesswork and putting these polls together. But I just there, – there's some things. You know, there's some teams that are ranked like in some people's top ten, and you're like, you know, does, does this guy know that this guy didn't come back? Do they not know this and that? I feel like this is a really good poll. This is probably more in line with how I would rank the top 25. Of the top 25 polls that have been released, this one matches my opinion probably better than any other. So let's go with this. Uh, Number 25, Miami. You know, Miami had got hot at times last year. Never really could get over the hump. They ended the year unranked. They're 25 in the D1 baseball poll. Mississippi State's first opponent, number 24, Long Beach State finished the year 28 and 15, and also unranked. But you're beginning to see some late top 25 buzz for this Long Beach State team. The 49ers, but they're dirtbags. You know, those, those guys are going to come in here. They're going to be ready to play. They're a veteran team. You know, we expect to win the weekend, but if we could somehow get a sweep over these guys over a top 25 team to open the season, it would be a very, very strong statement for the defending national champions. It's like, you know, we could have scheduled anybody, but we've got a top 25 opponent coming to town. And it just kind of worked out well for us because you remember we went out there in 2020. They were set to come back in 2021 because of all the COVID regulations they didn't. But we get them here this year. And so it works out too. We're actually going to get a better team and a better test. Duke, number 23. I like this Duke program. I don't think they're a team that really contends in the ACC. I do think they're a team that wins in the ACC. You, know, you remember a couple years ago, you, you probably your Duke postseason memory is when Duke absolutely just destroyed Vanderbilt. I mean, absolutely beat Vanderbilt to death. And Vanderbilt, on the brink of elimination, trots Kumar Rocker out there, and he throws a no-hitter. And at that point, Kumar was kind of an unproven college commodity. We knew who he was. We knew that he had a bright future. We knew he was Tracy Rocker's son, but he wasn't Kumar yet. And then he throws a no-hitter, forces a game three, Vanderbilt wins. It's crazy. But Duke is a team that is kind of quietly a super regional contender more years than not. They don't always get there, but they're a team that – they're a difficult out in regionals. And I do think they're a team that will probably be similarly situated this year. Number 22, Dallas Baptist. People kind of slept on them a little bit last year. They finished the year 41-18. and 18 and ranked 14th, nearly got to Omaha. There are some people in college baseball media circles that believe Dallas Baptist is kind of an Omaha team and waiting, but it's just a matter of time before they make it. They've done a great job kind of building pitching staffs over there, and it wasn't just Wes Johnson. They've built a nice culture there. Dallas Baptist ranked 22 in the poll. I think they're a team to watch. They're going to be a dangerous team because they're going to have pitching, but I think they're also a team, too, that defensively, is going to be one of the better teams in their league. They'll certainly win the league. They're going to be in somebody's regional. don't know if they're a a, a one. I don't think they host, but they're probably a two somewhere. I don't know that I want them as a two. I would want them coming here. I'd love them to go to Oxford as a two. They're a team that obviously elevates their game in the postseason. They think that they've kind of got that chip on their shoulder They're not getting any respect. They're always uh, kind of battling for that. And I think once they break through – they'll probably lose their coaching staff. But I think Dallas Babis is, again, kind of one of those quiet baseball programs. They're a little bit like Cal State Fullerton without the resume. You know what I'm saying? And at some point, Cal State Fullerton was that team too. But Dallas Babis is a team that has kind of carved out a nice little niche and is beginning to win some recruiting battles. So I think they're going to get them over the hump. Georgia Tech, 21, finished the year 31 and 25. I'm not a big Georgia Tech fan. For some reason, they get a lot of preseason hype. But I think 21 is probably accurate, probably. And I thing that I think about, too, is, you know, Georgia Tech, I mean, you're right there in Atlanta. I mean, we play the Wooden Bat Championships just down the road there. An incredible baseball state, the state of Georgia. I met Chris McCraney, I guess, recently from Team Georgia, travel team, team out of there. They always have players in, this, in the state of Georgia. And you think, okay, well, it's been enough to sustain Georgia Tech as a top 25 team. Is this the year that they – take a step forward i'm going to say no but i think they're a team obviously that is a solid regional team number 20 the anteaters come in there you see irvine i was high on them late last year they got hot finished the year 21 they were a team last year i actually picked them to win the regional they didn't but i think the anteaters again a very solid team A team that consistently is in the regional conversation they'll be another one of those teams too that they'll they could potentially host this year you need some West Coast teams, and I think they're going to be one of the better West Coast teams. One of the things that I love to do after we go cover a game at Duty Noble is I come home and I eat my Taco Bell and I watch West Coast baseball. If you ever catch the Eaters online or watching them on, on ESPN, stop and just leave, stay, leave, leave the game on because they play baseball the right way out there. I, I would say UC Irvine, you know, they're not the flashy, you know, prospecty type team. They kind of get some of these renegade types that uh, – have a little something to prove. It's part of their culture. Number 19, Tennessee. Tennessee loses a ton of pitching. They finished the year number six last year. You remember they made it to Omaha, Uh, one of the first teams eliminated. We didn't get them in Omaha. We got them in Hoover, and they smashed us. And uh, I still contend to you, we did not bring our best effort in Hoover. Tennessee preseason number 19, that's probably about right. And some of that, too, I think, is uh, out of respect for Tony Vitello. Very hard-nosed coach kind of a rah-rah guy, alpha dog type guy that really gets the most out of his guys. And so Tennessee, really kind of fortunate to have him. You know, that was the big talk of Omaha last year was, was Tony going to stay? And I was like, where's he going to go? You know, when the job at LSU got filled by Jay Johnson, you begin to think, okay, well, if if Sully is staying at Florida and Jay is going to Baton Rouge, where's Vitello going to go? and then they sign them to a nice extension. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year. I don't think Tennessee is as good as they were a year ago, but I think Tennessee baseball is back in many respects. Not that they've ever been you know, a baseball power within this league, but they have fielded some really good teams, produced some great players. And I think as long as Tony is there, Tennessee is going to contend for the top 25. Number 18, Oregon State. I like this Oregon State program, even though Coach Casey's not there anymore. I, mean, I think Oregon State, they are – Basically, the best pitching staff in the West just about every single year. That won't be any uh, in question this year. They will have great pitching. There's no question about it. They're going to have great pitching. It's kind of what they built a program around. They don't get big crowds out there. They produce big-time players, though. And Oregon State was a team last year that uh, was kind of a trendy pick. Some people thought, you know what, maybe they'll make a run here late. and didn't really work out. But they're, they're going to return a lot of pieces and be a team that really, I think, really competes, you know, out west, you know, for the Pac-12 championship. I don't think they win it, but I do think they will make it awfully interesting. TCU at 17, you know, Kirk Sarlos is the coach there now. He's kind of been the coach and waiting for a while. I'm eager to see what he does there. You know, Slosh has moved on. And there was some talk, too, that uh, Stardust wasn't going to get the job. And then he, he does ultimately get the job, which was the right thing, considering he had stayed there and been loyal to those guys. They've always got pitching. They don't always have hitting in defense. But they always are a competitive team. But now you've got a culture shift. So now that you know, Kirk has the reins, what do they do differently to kind of get over the hump? I think programs like TCU are what Duke and Georgia Tech want to be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're, they're always in the top half of their league, and they always seem to kind of come together late. Of course, they were the first top eight national seed eliminated last year. But I think some of that may have had to do with all that was going on behind the scenes, you know, with Sosnag going, being rumored for all these jobs. You know, it's difficult to focus on the job at hand when you're you're expecting to get the, the next job. Uh, number 16, Georgia. We've talked about them before. Uh, Mississippi State will actually play in Athens this year. I'm looking forward to that. They're – I will punch my SEC bingo card in its entirety this year. There are only two SEC stadiums that I have not attended a game or covered a game at, and that's Missouri and Georgia. I will get a chance to do them both this year. Looking forward to go back. Now, Scott Strickland always has pitching, always, 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 always. And it's not just recruiting. They do a good job developing pitchers at the University of Georgia, and that is kind of Scott Strickland's pedigree. They went 31-25 last year, but here's the thing. They couldn't score. That was the thing. They couldn't score. A little bit older this year, got a chance to be a better team. I think 16 is about right. Uh, you know, they went in – remember, they, they blasted Vanderbilt last year too, which really kind of – people are like, oh, well, Vanderbilt's not the evil empire. You know, there's there some chinks in the armor here. And uh, I think Georgia is a team that's capable of hosting this year. You know, they had – everything was in the palm of their hands last year. They just faded down the stretch. And that's the thing too. When you ride those horses early, you know, when you start throwing guys – you know, March and April, deeper into ball games. Sometimes they fade in June. And so it'll be interesting to see how Strickland manages that. But if they can get a few runs, they're going to beat some teams. Number 15, Arizona. I think that's a bit high, considering everything they lost. It's almost like we're giving them that out of reputation. You know, you had a handful of players transfer out that joined Jay Johnson there at LSU. So, you know, new coaching staff there. You know, I think they're a tad overrated. Uh, but again, into Pac-12 – you know They have recruited well. They've got good culture there. Finished number seven in the country last year. 15 maybe seems about right. I think they'll take a bigger step back than that. Texas Tech in at 14, I think that's about right. I'm a Texas Tech fan. I, I really like Timmy Tadlock. I, I would have been thrilled if he had been our baseball coach, and that's in, that in no way a criticism of Chris Lamonis. But when Mississippi State was working through you know, that coaching search, I, I was thinking, let's go get Tim Tadlock. That guy knows how to coach offense. That guy understands this new launch angle thing. And, as a matter of fact, I would say Tadlock was probably a little bit ahead of the curve, you know, when it came to analytics. You know, he was the guy that went out and got guys who could put the ball over the fence. And then he had other guys kind of had warning track power to get him in the weight room. They teach him a little bit about hitting mechanics. Next thing you know, everybody in the order is uh, is difficult to deal with. They ended up being a top eight national seed last year, and they ended up losing to Stanford. A lot of people thought, well, you know, Stanford deserved it more than Texas Tech. But well, it all worked out in the end. I like this Tech team. I'm looking forward to seeing the Bulldogs play them down in Biloxi. That's going to be an interesting week. I got to drive down there, cover New Orleans, and then uh, we get a day off. We head over to Biloxi, and then we, uh, we get Texas Tech on back-to-back nights down there, looking forward to a huge crowd down there as your, your national champion Bulldogs. Bringing a show on the road down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And uh, I know you guys will turn out and do a great job. Notre Dame at 13. Ended the year number 10 last year. They had a lot of media hype. They were a really good team. And my knock on them last year, of course, was in basically canceling the non-conference schedule. I don't know if we had a real measure of who they were. But after playing those guys head-to-head and watching how well they pitched it and the way that they played defense most of the time, I'll admit... I might have undervalued those guys a little bit. But, of course, Mississippi State wins that Super Regional. And I remember that feeling, you know, going into Game 3. It's like you just have it in the pit of your stomach. It's like, are we really going to let these guys come in here and beat us? There were so many people in national media that felt like Notre Dame should have been in the top eight. Some people said, oh, it wasn't fair. Notre Dame gets Mississippi State. Uh, I have respect for Link Jarrett and those guys at Notre Dame. Notre Dame does not have a proud baseball tradition like we do. You can say, oh, well, Steve, yeah, you remember them coming to Duty Noble, but if you look at the grand scheme of things, they just don't have a lot of tradition. And I I think Notre Dame is fortunate to have Link Jarrett. Can they keep him? That's going to be the real question. Can they keep him? Guys basically built some, some prominence there in college baseball, really where there wasn't any. They finished the year number 10 last year. I think that's probably accurate and then their preseason 13. You know, what's the ACC going to look like this year? Based, if you look at the numbers here, kind of running through the, uh, you know, what, how they're ranked here, they're ranked as the third highest ACC team this year. And, again, I go back to last year, you know, when you don't have to throw your pitchers in the midweek, you have everybody available for the weekend, you've got a competitive advantage nobody else does. They also uh, lost a couple of big, big hitters, as you guys know. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is probably about right. They'll be a host team again, I think, for certain. East Carolina finished the year 12, preseason number 12. Arguably, I think you could make the case. East Carolina might be the best mid-major program in the South. I don't know that there's really a lot of a lot of question about that. East Carolina, he's done a really good job there, and a lot of people have been expecting – uh, you know they didn't have to you know replace a coach there he, I remember last year watching the video uh pretty incredible to watch you know cliff talk about things you know cliff Godwin's a guy you know that uh, kind of rose to prominence when he was an assistant coach at all miss gets the ECU job and there was a lot of discussion you know with, you know if all miss made a change will they bring him back I would say probably so but the uh, yeah, end the guy got really emotional and he cried they, they got eliminated last year and he goes you know what we're, we're going to keep fighting we're going to keep climbing and we're going to eventually we're going to get there and uh you kind of hope they do not at our expense obviously but uh you know when you see a program like that that has been so consistent in recent years you'd like to see them get a little reward of course they have been to mississippi state recently uh for a midweek non-conference game we won the game but those guys came to play uh number 11 florida state uh I, i don't like the ranking they went from unranked to 11th and and i get it last year we're 31 and 24 showed some flashes down the stretch I think 11 is too high I think I think I would have Notre Dame ahead of him uh, but we'll see you know Florida State again people forget this you know it's like you know Florida State was kind of the um, you know they were the standard bearer in the 90s it's like the kind of the de facto number one every every single year um, and I think that's the things that that kind of carry over with people it's like oh well you know, they're florida state they got to be great you know that but you know here's the deal is what is it 23 now 23 appearances in the college world series without a title and that's one of the lists we wanted to get off of right you know we were right there with them. We we're going to be tied with clemson but florida state was kind of the you know the default number one every single year and never could get over the hump. And uh, I was there when Mike Martin's final press conference at Omaha, and I I felt so privileged to be there and be able to ask him a question. And and it's one of the heroes in our game, man. This is one of those guys, too, that kind of made college baseball. You know, you look at what Polk has done, and and Mike Martin did that really in the ACC in many respects. But I think 11 is too high. Uh, NC State there at number ten ended a year number four. A lot of people say, "Hey, they should have won an NFL championship." Let me just tell you this: Everybody's got an opinion. I'll offer you mine. They weren't going to beat Mississippi State. It was just simply our time. It was simply our time. And honestly, I'll be honest with you: I think Vanderbilt would have eliminated NC State. Yeah, you know, people, people kind of like, "Oh, you know, NC State." No, I really think Vanderbilt would have gotten NC State, which would have just simply made Mississippi State's path to the title that much easier. But uh, I respect NC State. Um, and uh, Elliott and those guys there at NC State, how they handled all that with such grace. It was very unfortunate to see it in that way, but it in no way diminishes our NAFL championship. They will return a great team this year. I do believe they are a top-ten team, even though they lost a few pieces, but um, NC State is one of those teams you really don't want to pair up with in a Super Regional. Florida, number nine, they were on rank last year. They got hot late, made the tournament, and then kind of made – the tournament selection committee look a little silly when they got eliminated the way they did. And and again, I I blame O'Sullivan for all that. You know, when you get the opportunity to have a new lease on life, you got to take full advantage of it. They didn't. I don't think they're um, a team that many people probably have a fair assessment of this year. I do think they're going to be a lot better this year. It's all going to boil down to pitching. And that's O'Sullivan's trademark, too. That's his pedigree is signing and developing pitchers. That's what Florida baseball has been built around. They return a lot of pieces offensively. If they can just be above average pitching, they're going to be a team that I think really contends for a top eight national seed. You say, well, Steve, they were unranked last year. That's right. But they're going to return so much of last year's offense if they can just find a couple of arms on the weekend. They're going to be a tough out. Number eight, LSU. I still think this is too high. Uh, I would probably have Florida ahead of LSU right now. I think LSU is right there around top ten, but this is close enough. And, again, a lot of people are saying, hey, look at what the pieces they're returning. And the thing you look at, too, is how many games they're going to play in their home baseball. That softball stadium they call Alex Box Stadium. I've been in some church league softball games that with um, balls didn't carry as well as they do there at Alex Box out to left. It's crazy. But uh, be that as it may, LSU, there's just a lot of moving parts to this thing. I think they may be a year away, but you look at what they lost pitching wise last year. And bringing some guys in, you got to figure some things out. But um, that's a lineup that is going to be difficult. You know, this year when you played those guys, it's like once you kind of cleared the six hole, you kind of felt like you that you were okay. I don't know it's going to be the case this year with so many guys transferring in. Oklahoma State, number seven, unranked last year. They were a team last year that I kind of picked to be a surprise team in the tournament. Didn't work out quite the way we wanted. I do think Oklahoma State is a team that will contend for a top-eight national seed. I think when you look at the Big 12 and you look at what's kind of around them, they're a team that I believe will finish in the top three in that league. Based on the way that D1 Baseball has them ranked, they agree they got them number two uh, behind Texas. I like this Oklahoma State team. They're a blue-collar bunch. They're easy to root for. You know, it's just going to be the pitching aspect of it. Much like it is from everybody else. If they can find a couple of reliable guys on the weekend, they're going to be tough. You remember that they, they scored a bunch of runs early last year. And then a lot of that left them late. Number six, Stanford. Finished the year number eight. I was there. They had Vanderbilt beat and you had a walk off wild pitch. Craziness, man. I was sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm just going to sit here and watch Vanderbilt get eliminated. It's going to be great. And to give Vanderbilt credit, they take full advantage and go all the way and play for the NAFL championship. Stanford, great team, great culture, do a great job recruiting. We had a great time when those guys came here for the Super Regional uh, back in 19. This is a team that is expected to win the Pac-12. This is the team expected to be a top eight national. I don't have any reason to disagree with that. Again, watch those guys play. They play a good brand of baseball. Now, of course. You know, they're kind of part of that NBA group, too. They're kind of like they do some of the Vanderbilt stuff. Ole Miss, number five, I I think it's a bit high. I do believe Ole Miss is a top-ten team. I would probably have Stanford ahead of them, and I would probably have LSU and Florida ahead of them. I'd probably have Ole Miss more like eight or nine. Uh, But definitely top ten. Ole Miss is going to be able to swing it. The issue with Ole Miss is going to be is pitching. You're like, oh, well, they bring all those guys back in the bullpen, but they weren't any good. And then you lose 2 frontline studs on the weekend. It's all we got to transfer. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. That's the thing that I think about all these transfers that come in from other leagues to the SEC. You got the best coaches in college baseball breaking down your mechanics and breaking down all the things you do. And so they're going to find the holes in your game. They're going to exploit them. Baseball is a game of adjustments. And that's not just in-game adjustments. That's in-season adjustments from weekend weekend to weekend to weekend to weekend. All of a sudden, they pick up your tendencies. The next thing you know, you're throwing bad practice. And I think that's kind of where Ole Miss is. Now, offensively, Ole Miss is going to be outstanding. They will be one of the best lineups in the country. Tim Elko is back, you know, and you can say what you want to, uh, you know, about his decision to come back. But uh, I think he was a guy that would have been drafted pretty early. He's betting on himself uh, coming back. And I think he is the centerpiece of that. Will easily be a preseason All-SEC pick. But yeah, this Ole Miss team, if, if you can't pitch it, Ole Miss is going to beat you up pretty good. They have some guys that can really swing it. And I think that lineup is uh, when you get a guy that's on and you can start sitting some guys down get them guessing a little bit, you you can win. But Ole Miss, I, think, I don't think they contend for a top eight national. I think they're certainly a super regional type team. And then it kind of depends on matchups after there. But you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Steve, there's this. No, no. This is this is a good old Miss team. Last year was a good old Miss team. And I actually think, you know, I think last year's team on paper was better, which is why I think this old Miss team this year may be a tad high in the rankings, because you don't have Doug McCasey. You know, you don't have, you know, a couple first rounders on the weekend. You know, what are you gonna do? And it's like you think, well, you know, we, had to, we didn't have a bullpen last year, so we had to work those guys early in the year. And so they end up both missing some time. You, Gunnar Hoglund, too, who's an absolute stud. You, you ride those horses too hard in March and April, they're not around for you in May and June. And that, that's kind of what happened to Ole Miss. And they say, well, you know, you've got Dustin Diamond or, or Derek Diamond, excuse all due respect. Um, he had the back issue last year. Is that a chronic problem? Can he be a Friday night guy? Is he just a Sunday guy? Yeah, I don't know. But you got to figure it out. And Bianco and those guys always kind of find a way to piece it together. But when you don't have guys that can get you seven, eight innings, well, then who picks up the slack? Well, it's the bullpen. And the bullpen last year was proven to be completely ineffective and one of the worst bullpens in the conference down the stretch. Uh, Your Bulldogs, number four. I think that's about right. You know, I think that's probably about right. I would actually have us number three. I would have us number three. Uh, They have Vanderbilt number three. And I think when you look at Vanderbilt, I don't understand the love that Vanderbilt is getting. I know it's like people are, are kind of banking on, well, Tim Corbin has run a great program. That is absolutely true. But you don't lose two first-rounders off your weekend rotation and get better. And then, you know, you look, we talk so much about, you know, some of the guys they trotted out there last year against us, and we rock those guys. Now, everybody improves a little bit year to year, at least you hope. But Vanderbilt lost a lot of pieces last year. Now, they're recruiting at a level unlike anybody else because of the advantages that they have. Is Vanderbilt a top-ten team? Here's your high take. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. And I don't think there are a lot of people that would agree with me right now. And let me tell you why that is. I think a lot of people are caught up in the cult of Vanderbilt. They say, oh, well, even when Van- Vanderbilt just reloads. And in some respects, they do. But when you look at all the guys they lost last year, and the fact that Florida is expected to be better, Tennessee is consistent, Georgia expected to be better, and now all of a sudden you know, the bottom half of the East isn't quite one, what it once was. Now you look at Missouri and say, hey, you Missouri know, Missouri's still Missouri. You know, Missouri came in here and take two out of three from us last year. Kentucky, I think, will be better. Are they a top 25 team? No. I think Vanderbilt's ride of kind of coasting in the East – and having the benefit of playing Kentucky and Missouri and Tennessee every year, when they have not been great teams, I think that's over for us for a while. That's the thing you look at. It, it's so difficult for a team in the SEC West to win the overall SEC championship because you're going to have to play a potential NCAA tournament team every single weekend in your division. Anybody a divisional foe, every one of those teams that you play is going to be a team that's in contention to make the field. It's just not like that in the East. And I think this year the East will be more competitive, and I think it hurts Vanderbilt. I think Florida will prove to be the best team in the SEC East, and I think Georgia is going to spoil somebody's season. That's my hot take. Vanderbilt, not a top-10 team. Are they a host team? Absolutely. Can they make it to Omaha? Yes, they can. At this point, I'm not expecting it, though. And I said last year on this show that Vanderbilt – Uh, was a team last year that I felt even if they had the big guys on the weekend, they were somewhat vulnerable because of their inability to score. Well, does your ability to score get any better when you consider all the pieces they lost last year? And then there's issues at catcher. You know, what are they going to do at catcher? That's a joke, too. Uh, I think Vanderbilt is a team that uh, is overvalued. They are a good team, a really good team. I don't think they're an elite team this year. Uh, Number two, Arkansas. I can't really argue against this. Uh, I like Dave Van Horn uh, as a coach. I mean, I'm sure if I went to dinner with him, I may not like him quite as much. But uh, Arkansas is going to be competitive as long as Van Horn is there. Simple as that. They're recruiting at a great level. They have committed themselves to improving the facilities at Baum Stadium. And no matter what people say on Twitter, it is not the best stadium in the SEC. It is among the best atmospheres, but much of the grandstand and kind of the infrastructure there is pretty antiquated. Like, oh, you got to come to a game there. Guys, I've been to games there, and I do enjoy going to games there, except when state loses. But from a facility standpoint, the grandstand at Bomb Stadium is probably not even in the top four or five in the SEC. And that's just kind of being honest. And a lot of people that put these things out there, they've never been anywhere. It's kind of like when Ole Miss built an IPF, and they're like, oh, it's the best in the country. Well, how many have you seen? Well, ours. Kind of like at Arkansas. It's like, oh, we get the best stadium in the country. Well, how many places have you been? Well, I've been here in Jonesboro. Well, you know, I mean, come on. And that's not in any way to diminish the Arkansas program. I got a lot of respect for the Razorbacks. They were the best team in the country last year in a regular season. They couldn't finish the deal. And it was like, oh, we were number one. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If you don't win the tournament, it doesn't matter what happens in the preseason. I go back to something John Cohen told me when he was a player at Mississippi State. He was a junior in 1989 at Pete Taylor Park. Getting my Mississippi State baseball cards autographed. I have them to my left. I can touch them right now if I wanted to. We had been number one most of the year. We lost, and we dropped a little bit. And I said, you know, I'm disappointed we're not number one anymore. He goes, you know what? The only poll that counts is the last one, and that's the one that we plan to be number one in. So Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Texas, everybody else, Ole Miss, everybody had a little taste of number one at times the last couple of years. That's all cute. It looks good on Twitter, but it only matters. The only team that's truly number one, 2021, is the last one that Mississippi State was at the top of. Could Mississippi State be perennial number one? Could there be a consensus preseason number one this year? Yeah, I don't know. I think you could make an argument for that. I would vote Texas number one. I know many of you think, oh, Steve, you should be a homer for us. Guys, I'm just going to call it straight. I like this Texas team. I really, really do. I think this is a team, and David Pierce, I thought last year that – the david and obviously um you know a and I think Texas and Texas A&M both, both of those guys I thought were really kind of coaching for their jobs and then what happens is uh you get a change at A&M Slosh goes in and then Texas puts it together you know the, Texas got off to a dreadful start last year people forget you know Texas had some tr- trouble early on they get the pitching settled they get the defense settled, and next thing you know, they're on their way to Omaha. And I wanted to play Texas because I felt like we were better than Texas, not just because we beat them, but just from a matchup standpoint, I said, you know what, there's too much swing and miss in this lineup, and we can throw the baseball by them. We did. There was no doubt that Mississippi State was better than Texas. A matter of fact, I watched a tender-legged walk-off this morning because I, I was feeling good about life. But I think this Texas team is capable of winning an AFL championship. Did they lose some pieces? Yes. But they bring a lot back. And I think this is a team that is capable of winning an Apple championship. I don't think there's any question they are the Big 12 favorite. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know that anybody's even really close to Texas in the Big 12. I think Oklahoma State, obviously, can make a, a decent run at it. Uh, I think you could say the same for Texas Tech. But outside of that, that league, I think, is going to be similar to what it was last year. You know, TCU, you know, it's going to be like three decent teams at the top, and then everybody else is very mediocre. So I don't think there's anybody to slow Texas down from putting up a huge record this year. And I think, again, it's going to boil down to matchups. And last year, Mississippi State was the worst matchup in the country for Texas. And the truth of the matter is, is, you know, we had the rain-delayed game, and then we we missed some golden opportunities, and they, they beat us in the extra inning game. Uh, but I thought that was a turning point at Omaha for us because I think – I give so much credit to our fans that stayed after and cheered our team out of the dugout after that rain delay. It stayed to like one in the morning. Love you guys, man. You guys are true maroon. But this Texas team, I think they were probably a year ahead of schedule. I don't think many people expected them to make Omaha in the early parts of the 2021 season, but yet there they were. Kind of surprised some people, but um, they've got some dudes. And uh, Mike Antico has kind of moved on. If I'm not mistaken, I think Antico was gone. He was a grad transfer last year that uh, played center field for them and hit leadoff. But uh, they have got some, you know, some prospecting-type dudes on that team, and Texas recruits at a very high level, and they're going to go out and recruit those Major League Baseball prospects and not just great baseball players, and I think it's going to pay off for them this year. Do they win the whole thing? I don't know if I call that. Can we win the whole thing? We can. I'm not ready to call it. You know, We're still figuring some things out. It's a long season. But I do, again, I respect the D1 baseball poll – I hope you guys do as well, um, but yeah, I, I think outside of a few things, there are a couple of minor tweaks. To be honest with you, I think the biggest one uh, is Vanderbilt. I don't think Vanderbilt's a top ten team, uh, and I do think that uh, Arizona is probably a little bit high, even at fifteen. So, and we'll see. We'll see what happens with TCU. But outside of that, I, I, I agree for the most part with this poll. I think most people will as well. Okay, dogpile the book, man. We're about uh, about a week away from those books being delivered to the publisher supposed to ship from the printer on the 26th it'll take about two days to get here and then I will go run down to Jackson and I'm going to sign thousands and thousands of books and they're going to mail them to you so you know your your books will be in the mail in just over a week's time it's been a long process for all of us I'm kind of glad it worked out the way that it did I wanted everybody to get it for Christmas but the bottom line is everybody will have a chance to read it and be excited before college baseball season uh, I'll be honest with you guys. Sometimes I'm, uh, sometimes I get all wound up, man. I get, uh, I get to thinking about how, how important it was, you know, to be there to write this book. And uh, i just really, really excited about you guys having it. And, and um, I never, I always knew this moment would come. I never thought I'd be the guy writing the book. And it's just been my honor and privilege to write it. And, and so many thousands of you have already pre-ordered the book. And uh, it's very, very humbling to say the least. So, Uh, If you hadn't ordered yet, you can at dogpilethebook.com. You won't have to wait as long as everybody else because you've, you've, uh, you know, you're waiting to order. And I want to tell you guys this too. Nobody has accused me of this, but I think it's important you understand this. Um, I told the publisher and my agent that uh, I did not want to be paid any royalties until the books were delivered because I just didn't feel right about that. It's like people have bought this book and so their money is tied up. They've already spent their money. They don't have a book yet. I didn't feel right. And so they're just like, hey, we you know, we've got your your first royalty check. They're calculating this. I was like, guys, just hold it. I don't want to take any money and from anybody until these books are delivered. And so I just say that because you know we're kind of in this thing together. I didn't want anybody to think, oh, well, Steve's out. You know, Steve's got my money and he's you know taking some cruise and then uh, I don't have my book. So I have not made a dime to this point. Now I will be paid at some point, but I haven't made a dime at this point. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys, just because. I'm a person of integrity. I do have some ethics, and uh, I just felt like it's important for you guys to know that. So that's going to do it for today. And again, if you're looking for other books, you can find them at dogpilethebook.com. You can get Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, or Flim Flam. Sign, personalize, however you'd like. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find that at Amazon, BooksMillion.com, uh, Barnes & Noble. And I continue to get requests about the Stark Villain shirts. I wore a long sleeve the other day, and somebody's like, hey, where can I get that? Starkvillains.com. And I know many of you are thinking, hey, I know so-and-so is a big fan of the Boneyard, or a big fan of Steve. Yeah, maybe give him that gift. That's a pretty cool thing there. Give him the gift. Get him the Stark Villain shirt. Maybe let, let, get him a Stark Villains hoodie to wear to Duty Noble this year. How about that? I'd be pretty smart. Anyway, that's it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we
1: live. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.